You are listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcva.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. If you would please open your Bibles with me, the book of Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, as we continue a series on these two incredible chapters in the New Testament, in a series that we're simply calling No Other Way from Galatians chapter 3 and 4. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. It's just been an incredible day. It's really just been this awesome week that the Lord has been building in and through us. So we're praising God here. So we have you know, new faces here this morning and you know, couples coming from all over the country and all of these sorts of things to worship with us. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. It's so grateful to the Lord for that. We have graduation tomorrow in most of our schools in Tulsa. Congrats. You've made it. Praise the Lord. School's out throughout Tulsa on at least Friday. Some of us are getting out Thursday. What's up, right? It's an awesome, awesome time to be alive, and we're excited that you're here. We're also excited to provide to you an incredible opportunity to walk alongside these truths of Scripture with us. We have an incredible creative team here, just our content teams. I'm so grateful for Pat Finley, our spiritual development pastor, and just the men and women of God that he's kind of put together to form these content teams that are aligned with the very sermon that you're going to hear today. So if you would like to dig a little bit deeper, if you'd like to go a little bit further, text the word WAY to 45776, and we can provide to you content that you can devotionally use in and throughout the week as we study the book of Galatians together. I'm also just so unbelievably grateful to God for his gospel this morning that I'm going to give you one of the defining truths of the gospel from Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And what Paul's going to do today is that he's going to build this point in verses 10 through 12 from the Old Testament scriptures. He's quoting Deuteronomy, he's quoting Habakkuk, he's quoting Leviticus, and then he's going to set up for you the reality of all of life. That you cannot have blessing without judgment. That you cannot have Savior without acknowledging you need to be saved from your sin. So he's going to tie all of these together from the scriptures. He's going to give us this gospel that is still changing lives. There is no other way. And that's why before you walk out of here and do life, that the one thing I want you to get from this text is that Christ became a curse for us. Oh, the truths and the joy from the reality of what the risen Christ has done for us. Oh, how it will change your life today by God's grace. And as we prepare our hearts for this Lord's Supper. I heard of a story this week from Florida of a man who was flying a plane for the very first time. And he was up there and he's flying the Cessna plane in Florida and everything was going great. It was just him and his pilot. And all of a sudden he realized that the pilot wasn't acting normal. In fact, the pilot began to complain that I just don't feel well. And almost instantly he became incapacitated. So you have this plane, there's two individuals in, The pilot is no longer flying the plane. And the man's next to him, what would you do? And so this man calls air traffic control. Help! Hello! Anybody out there? And he begins to now depend upon this voice. And the air traffic controlman calmly begins to ask him these questions. Sir, have you ever flown a plane before? No! Do you know what direction you're going, sir? No! 
Do you know where you are? All I know is that the ocean is over there. Where is there, sir? He didn't know. And for someone who's directionally challenged like myself, I can appreciate this banter back and forth, right? I mean, the only place I know I get to is heaven, all right? That's it. I get lost in my own house multiple times a week. Just don't know where to go, okay? So this guy's flying a plane, has never done so before, and miraculously, through the counsel of the air traffic controlman, he lands this plane. The pilot receives medical attention, high fives all around, and he says, there was no other way I could have done this if I hadn't had the voice and the counsel of the air traffic controlman. That is where we are in the book of Galatians. Paul now for three chapters has been building this point that salvation is solely by faith alone and the works of Christ alone. That God's blessing is not as a result of our ceremonies or our customs or our rituals, that no, it's in accordance with his promises through his son. That how then can we have favor and fellowship and lasting perpetual blessing from the Lord? Is it by works? No. And tragically, there were some among these churches in southern Galatia that were propagating this false gospel. That these Judaizers, these Jewish legalists were taking these teachings, more than likely from ancient rabbis, that believed, they were absolutely convinced that salvation and blessing could be achieved through zealous keeping of the Mosaic law. So they didn't at first remind faith in Christ. That's great. But you better end with works. You better end with the Mosaic traditions. You better end with specifically circumcision. And so Paul now addressing this, belaboring this point. Now in Galatians 3, uses this example first of Christ in these Christ followers. And he takes these first eight verses and says, your life is this testimony. You know you weren't changed from a statue. You know you weren't changed through moralism. You know you weren't changed through ceremonies or functionalism, foundationalism, anything else. You know this. You heard and received the gospel because historically Paul preached and started these churches in Acts 13 and 14. And then Paul reminds them of one of their greatest heroes and examples. Oh, God's grace, we have so many here in and amongst us. He says, remember Abraham? Yeah, your father, one who was of the Hebrew people, leader of leaders, a generational means and channel of God's blessing, he did so by faith and not by works in Galatians 3, 6 through 9. And now in Galatians 3, 10 through 14, Paul from the Old Testament scriptures will now go right to the heart of the issue. He will once again didactically set up works and faith. And can I tell you, we're still struggling with this issue. You know, this isn't just some New Testament church issue, some Asia minor issue. No, this is an us issue. In fact, there was a recent survey from Barna. George Barna is arguably one of the best demographers we've had for the last 40 years. And post-COVID, he came out with a survey, are you ready for this? On the essence of faith among evangelicals. And now 52% of us, the majority now, believe that it is not just faith alone that saves, but that it is faith plus works. And with every fiber in my being, I'm going to tell you that is wrong. That is a false, dangerous gospel. 
that we must beg God for his grace and his anointing among us to be people that just trust in the gospel alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not because it is easy. Not because it is some tradition. But because this has been God's plan from the beginning. That Christ himself would become a curse for us. And it is a result of his work that we are free from what has enslaved us from the moment we were conceived. It is this understanding and idea that Paul begins to build this point in verses 10 through 12 of Galatians 3. I think I've gotten you ready. Here we go. And your Bible says this, for all who rely on works of the law, they are under a curse. Yikes. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Paul in verse 10 assumes the universality of all sin. The sin does not just apply to ignorant, lawless, pagan Gentiles. Us, you, me. But everyone who sins, even God's chosen people, even these Jewish Christ followers now, even these Judaizers who were posing as legalists and were propagating this false gospel, even them, Paul says, everyone besides Christ is born in sin and is in bondage of sin. Therefore, we break God's righteous law. We are eternally cursed. That every single one of us have violated grossly the law of God. A law that is from God and thus cannot be separated from God. Because the law exposes God's moral nature and will and intent for all of those who desire to follow him. All of us have missed this mark. Every single one of us, you, me, your family, my family. In fact, I was reminded of this yesterday. I was, I was hanging out at a baseball game, enjoying life. Things were great. It was 90 degrees in Arkansas. We were playing on AstroTurf. This was 112 degrees on the field. What's going on here, right? I mean, there, there should have been water and Gatorade and, you know, just all of this stuff just given to everybody. But no, no, you're kind of on your own there. And so we didn't play just one game. We played two games. And we're hanging out after the second game. And I see my six-year-old over here drinking a red Gatorade. And I go to him and say, Tate, where did you get this Gatorade? I know I didn't buy it for you. Did one of the other players' parents give it to you? And he looks at me after taking another swig and says, no, Daddy, I got it from that playground over there. You did what? <laughs> and so two things went into my mind. One, don't tell your mom, okay? 
Number two, whose kid are you? And so I looked him in the eye and said, Tate, I love you, but you're gross, man. Throw that away. And he looks at me and says, Dad, it's a red Gatorade. Can I tell you in regard to our sin, we're all have drunk in the Gatorade. We've all taken in too much Kool-Aid. We've all given way too much of ourselves to things that do not matter. Why? For all who rely on the works of the law, we are under a curse. John Stott, one of the greatest New Testament theologians that the world has ever given us, said what the law says, God says. What the law blesses, God blesses. And what the law curses, God curses. You see, curse is the complete opposite of blessing in the Bible. A curse here expresses a divine judgment. Are you ready for this? A sentence of condemnation without remedy. And that is why Paul uses this pointed word. It doesn't just sting, it dominates. Kataran. All of us are Kataran. We are, you ready for this? Consigned to harm. Consigned to a damnation of death forever. And can I tell you, this is not a New Testament thought. This is rather all over the Bible. In fact, did you realize that there are 39 Psalms that pronounces curse on sinners or those who are God's enemies? Did you realize that Jesus, the living word of God himself, pronounced curses throughout his ministry? In fact, if you were to follow the ministry and preaching of Christ throughout the gospel of Luke, you will find Christ pronounced judgment and cursing upon Chorazin and Bethsaida in Luke 10. Woe to them, he says, because of their iniquities, because they knew better and they gave themselves to other things besides the gospel, to other things besides his teaching. In Luke chapter 11, Christ curses the Pharisees and the scribes who were propagating this lifestyle of zealousness towards the law and obedient law-keeping on the outside. But really, Jesus says, your heart is like a white-washed tomb. You appear like one thing on the outside, but you are filthy and disgusting. You're gross on the inside. In Luke 17, Jesus pronounces cursement on anyone who would make his children or those or his followers stumble. In Luke chapter 22, he curses Judas. The point is, this curse and condemnation of the law are necessary because no one sins without impunity. Because no one can keep from violating the standard and demands of God's law. And Paul uses this point not just from the applicational teaching of the Galatians, but rather he takes it from the scriptures in verse 10. For he says, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and who does them. That Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, that he emphasizes here the necessity of doing Every single one of the laws. The emphasis here is on the word abide. That if you choose to abide in the law, then by necessity you must keep 
all of them. For perfection allows no exceptions. If anyone trusts in the law, then he must keep it all. And even the Pharisees and the scribes knew better. Even those in the teachings of Jesus' day who began to devise this system of zealous law-keeping as a means of meritous blessing before the Lord, they divided the Old Testament laws up to 613 individual statutes in which they must follow. But yet you had Christ, not, are you ready for this, abolishing the law, but saying he came to fulfill it. You see, their means of angst against Christ in the Gospels was not that he was taking away from the law, but rather he was applying the means of the law to necessitate faith in him. That Jesus' answer wasn't works, wasn't ceremonies or traditions or rituals. It was rather him and him alone. Jesus didn't lower the standard of the law not one time in the gospel. In fact, he says in Matthew 5, verse 48, you must be perfect as I am perfect. No, instead, Jesus didn't come to abolish those things, but to fulfill them. And that is why, are you ready for this? Remember what Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 15? He tells them at the end of his ministry, abide in me. And I in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can bear much fruit. For I am the vine, he says in John 15, 5. And you are the branches. Are you abiding today, resting, yearning, pursuing works as a means of favor and blessing and fellowship with God, or faith in Christ. You see, perfection allows no exceptions. If you trust in this law, then you are judged by the law. You have to keep it all. And can I just humbly tell you, it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible to do these things. And that is why you have Paul so heartbroken over Christ's followers in Galatia who heard the gospel, who saw Christ, who knew faith and faith alone frees, and yet were giving their life to other things, were adding to the gospel, and thus were taking away from the gospel because there's no other way. It reminded me of one of my favorite Westerns, a show by the name of Lonesome Dove. And Lonesome Dove is a four-part series that is really dominated by two individuals, Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones. And these men as Texas Rangers are trying to design to start a new life and a new start. And so they gather up some cattle in southern Texas and were traveling all the way to Montana to set up a new way of life and as kind of a payment and reward for 30, 40 plus years of fighting the Comanches and setting up law in this lawless territory of Texas. And all of us who live in Oklahoma say, amen, right? And so you have in this incredible, majestic performance 
by Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones, this series called Lonesome Dove that details their adventure and their journey from Texas to Montana. And one of, an additional character of this show is a man by the name of Jake. And Jake was easy on the eyes. Jake at one time was a Texas Ranger himself. And Jake, as a Texas Ranger, swore to uphold and to enforce the law. But as time went by, Jake began to not take that oath as serious as he once did. Jake began to run with a different crowd, cattle thieves. And he got caught. And there's a part of this show that Jake knows Tommy Lee Jones would never show mercy. And so Jake, right before he goes to meet his maker, looks at Robert Duvall and says, Augustus, how about you? Gus, can you let this one slide? And there are many points in this film that we can apply to life. But in light of this text, hear from our theologian, Augustus McCray. When he says, no, you know how it works, Jake. You ride with an outlaw, you die with an outlaw. For I'm sorry, but you just crossed the line. And that is exactly Paul's point right here. That if anyone desires to live by the law, they are outside of God's will, outside of God's intent. You see, the law and faith both confront sin. But where the law confronts sin and then condemns, faith confronts sin and frees because it necessitates a decision to either choose works or Christ. And thus that is why Paul says in Galatians 2.19, I chose to die to the law so that I might live to God. Because those who put their faith in Christ will be blessed. But those who live by the law are cursed because no one can meet its perfect demands. And dumbfoundingly, these Judaizers believed that they could be right in God's sight via the law. Even if they knew they could not keep it perfectly. And that is why Paul immediately transitions to verse 11. And he goes from the cursing and judgment of the law to now verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is then justified, declared righteous, made right before God by the law. And he quotes here Habakkuk 2.4, one of the first verses in the Old Testament that I ever memorized. That the righteous shall live by faith. That Paul is reminding his hearers that it is impossible to have right standing before God through the law. Only by faith, because living by the law does not save at all. That none of us can meet its demands. That this law and adherence to earning favor before the Lord does not bring blessing, but a curse and a judgment by God and before God himself. And that is why Paul now adversely in verse 12, but 
The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. That law and faith are not mutually exclusive. That they are never meant to be combined. That the law condemns. That it is only faith in what God has done in Christ that gives us righteousness and thus rescue and redemption. And so there are one or two people here this morning. You are either under the curse of the law or you are in Christ. That we are either abiding in the law and our meritous works and favor and backgrounds and traditions and all these good things that we do or the perfect work that Christ has done on our behalf. It is this setting from Deuteronomy and Habakkuk and Leviticus that now Paul gives us one of the most stunning illustrations of the gospel in the entire New Testament. He says, for Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. By how? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, that the blessing of Abraham might come to even the Gentiles, so they might receive the promised spirit through faith. That Paul transitions from the divine curse on all men in verses 10 through 12 to now the divine curse by God himself on the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's point is, is that there is no other way to escape the curse of the law besides his work and his way. For Christ has redeemed us, he says. You see this word redeemed? Underline it. Put a star by it. Oh, may it just be as you move throughout this week, your joy as a result of this truth. Because this word means something that is bought back once and for all. It was a word of commerce in Paul's day. It describes someone who in the marketplace would remove an item from sale forever. It describes one who buys one's freedom. And that is exactly Paul's point of what Christ has done for us. These at one time and at one place and on one cross provided the means to buy us back, to rescue us from this condemnation of the law, of this judgment of God as a result of his righteousness, as a result of our sin, that he has bought our freedom, not by works, but by faith. That Christ, through his substitutionary death on the cross, delivers and redeems and rescues and ransoms us from the bondage of our sin when we place our faith in him. How? Because cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The Paul says this is made possible solely through faith in the sufficient sacrifice of Christ, who in and through his sacrifice, God transferred the wrath and condemnation that was meant for us, placed it on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For cursed is everyone 
who was hanged on a tree. You see, Paul is intentional here. He quotes here from Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, to confirm his point. You see, when a criminal in Judaism was sentenced to death under the Mosaic law, they were executed usually by stoning, generally in front of two or three witnesses. And after they have died, after, it's very important, they were then placed on a tree or post in front of all people. And consequently, their body would hang there until sundown as a visible picture on the outside of their internal rejection and violation of God's law. That they were set up in front of all to see. This is what happens when you violate and reject God's law. Then at sundown, they were removed. They were buried. You see, Paul uses this imagery here to signify that the curse of the law was punishment because no man could keep its requirements besides one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that it is through Christ who willingly took our punishment and penalty and became a curse for us. That he replaced what was meant for us. That though no one is righteous, no, not one. That though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That all of us, dead in our sins, can be forgiven through faith in the work of Jesus Christ who became a curse for us, who took on the judgment of God himself for our sin. You see, Christ was not cursed because of his sin, but our sin. And thus, when Christ was crucified, he took our curse upon himself, what we deserved. He took And thus, what was once a curse can now, by faith in his work, be a cure because the totality of our sin was placed upon him on the cross. And as a result of who he was, fully God and fully man, like us in every way, the Bible says, yet without sin, one who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, who took upon its full requirement... And thus God's full wrath was raised victorious three days later as a sufficient sacrifice of one who paid our sin debt in full. Who the moment we place our faith in him purchases us from bondage to life. Delivers us from a life not of cursing or damnation but blessing who saves us by forgiving the sin that was in us. Because what was meant for us, he took. He became a curse for us. Oh, this imagery. Oh, this point that Paul is making. Why 
You see, Paul in verse 14 gives two purpose clause. That he has been from verse 1 in Galatians 3 building to this point. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That Paul uses here these two purpose clauses to solidify his main point in verse 14. That the blessing and righteousness that was credited to Abraham, one who God himself was credited righteousness in Galatians 3.6, is now in fulfillment of the promised one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moment one places their faith in Christ, they receive the same blessing that was promised to Abraham. That for those who express faith in the promised one, like Abraham, they receive, are you ready for this? In fulfillment of the promises of God, his promised spirit that God himself lives in and through us. Oh, I I can't help but, but think of the great hymn of all joy to the world in light of this point. You remember this hymn? Joy to the world, the Lord has what? Come. Oh, we sing that song so beautifully at Christmas. Here's the thing. Isaac Watts wrote that hymn in 1719, not on the first coming of Christ. It's not a Christmas hymn at all, though it applies, because, you know, it just works. But no, he wrote that hymn in light of Psalm 98, the second coming of Christ. That God is faithful to keep his promises through his promise one. And thus the moment you place your faith in him, the moment you believe the promise from God himself that his son would become a curse for us. And that all who believe in him that God's righteousness and wrath fell upon his promised son who paid in full the requirement of the law. Thus, what was credited to Abraham as a result of this promise is now credited to us by faith, not by works. And as we now prepare our hearts for this supper, are you doing just that? You see, this bread symbolizes a body that was given, which means that our identity is not in what we do or what we're becoming or how we perform but rather in what Jesus Christ has already done. That he is the complete sufficient sacrifice. And just as we're gonna crush this bread, may any insecurities, may any struggles that we have, may any small or big idols in our lives, may God crush them by his grace. As we love and pursue Christ, as we find our identity in his gospel. That it is God's word and his promises through his promise one that we find our being. That we identify in what God says about us and what God promises for us in, in God who has made us and works in and through us through the promise of the Holy Spirit. Are you identifying in those things? Secondly, as we take this cup and as it washes through our body. May God wash our hearts and our minds of anything that is distracting us from his gospel. Anything that is pulling us away from this truth that is meant to free us. 
anything in our past or in our shame or in our minds mentally that spiritually God does not have for us. May he wash it away in a way that only he gets the glory for as we partake of this Lord's Supper. You see, there's no other way. And as Paul has so clearly, through the voice of God, clarified and solidified his gospel, may we hear and live and do the same. May we take this gospel and live it out every day in our lives as if there's no other way to have favor or blessing or fellowship with God besides faith in Christ who became a curse for us. May we die to the law so that we may live to God for Christ. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and always remember, you are loved.